like you. Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and in the virtual studio today is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder here at Pop Health Week. For those of you not familiar with Fred, he is a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. And apparently, and much to my surprise, something I learned just yesterday, the apparent father of the annual wellness visit, which we'll perhaps do a deeper dive on another show. This history is rather fascinating. Fred serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Population Health Management and the Best Practices Review Panel for the Institute for Medicaid Innovations. He's a past chair and former board member of the Population Health Alliance. Fred is known on Twitter as at FS Goldstein. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com, HealthInnovationMedia.com, and Precision Medicine. Dot center. And now for today's special guest, Jamie Edwards, the CEO of Cloudbreak Health, a telehealth company with an operating history spanning 14 years. Cloudbreak was formed by bringing together two industry leaders, Marty, the leading video remote interpreting pioneer, and CareNexion, the first telemedicine market network to deliver unified telehealth solutions to hospitals nationwide. Founded in 2003 to pioneer video remote interpreting services and over-the-phone interpreting to medical facilities around the country, Cloudbreak pioneered and led the market's evolution. And more about Jamie. Prior to Language Access Network, LAN, and CareNexion, Jamie was the CEO of Emergent Medical Associates, During his tenure, EMA grew into the leading multi-specialty group in the southwestern United States. He remains with EMA as board member. He's also a board member for the Santa Monica chapter of the American Red Cross, the Young President's Organization, and a mentor at LA Incubator Startup Engine. Jamie has been a three-times honoree for the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award and a two-times honoree for the Los Angeles Business Journal Healthcare Leadership Awards. Jamie's also a proud member of the Pink Sox tribe of healthcare innovators working to disrupt healthcare from the ground up and drive positive change for patients and providers. He received his MBA from Cornell's Johnson Graduate School of Management. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Jamie, his take on telehealth, population health, and what the team is up to at Cloudbreak. Great. Thanks so much, Greg. And Jamie, welcome to Pop Health Week. It's my pleasure to be here with you, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so perhaps you can start a little bit, Jamie. The company uh, was formed by this sort of bringing together of these two um, companies or organizations. How did that occur, and then how did you begin to get involved with the organization? Yeah, um, so Language Access Network was the predecessor company to Cloudbreak Health, and LAN was originally founded in 2003 by a gentleman named Andy Panos, who's still with the company today as uh, my business partner and COO. Um, he had tried to build the company for four or five years uh, and you know, wasn't able to successfully get a lot of momentum in market, even though he really created the video medical interpreting market. He was able to sign a few clients, 
but they had initially financed the company as a reverse merger into a public shell. And so they ended up running short on cash and he met me in 2007 and I became enamored with uh, what Andy was doing and I really developed a passion for the space because what he was doing is really, you know, really trying to solve one of the nation's biggest healthcare disparities, which is the language barrier that happens when a limited English proficient or deaf patient shows up, you know, somewhere in our healthcare system today. And when they don't, you know, when, they, when you can't communicate, right, communication is fundamental to every clinical diagnosis. When you can't communicate, what does the doctor do? They order a bunch of defensive tests. Uh, the patient, because they can't communicate with their physician, ends up, you know, with a lot of anxiety and feeling scared. The doctor has those same anxieties because they can't determine whether the chest pain the patient has was caused by indigestion or they should be doing a heart attack workup. And so it causes a lot of waste, uh, poor patient satisfaction, and uh, poor outcomes. And so Andy really was trying to solve that problem. And we engineered a deal where we took Andy's company private, because it was publicly traded at that point in time. Um, and I, for six years, uh, was CEO of Language Access Network, as well as being CEO of EMA. Um, but Language Access Network, you know, we, we turned the business model on its head. We changed it from a usage model to a subscription model. We really changed it to be a healthcare solutions business as opposed to um, a language interpretation services company. So all this DNA and healthcare that I learned from my time at Emergent Medical Associates, the ER, hospitalist, and anesthesia group, you know, we embedded in language access network. And so we proceeded to grow the company. And in 2015, we did a series A round with an investment fund here in Los Angeles called Kane Partners. And um, as we were doing that round, we saw the market evolving. And the market was evolving because there were too many point solutions in hospitals and not enough platforms. And we realized that we had built a few key assets as a company. We had built one of the largest private broadband networks into healthcare in the country. We had built um, a software uh, platform that was a video contact center that routed a video call the same way an audio call gets routed in a call center environment. And embedded in that was something that we called video interoperability so that any Skype for Business, Cisco, VidYO, Polycom, or Zoom platform could natively integrate with ours. And we had this marketplace of hospitals we had built up. Since the time I had gotten involved with Andy, we went from you know, 10 hospitals to around 300 across the country. And so you know, it was the who's who and the who's not of healthcare. We had leading academic medical centers, leading cancer centers, but we also had small community hospitals who could benefit from the experience of those leading health systems that we had on the network. And so we said, you know what, we have a solution here to solve other healthcare disparities besides language services. And we set out to do that. And with the financing round, we built out use cases in telestroke, use cases in telepsych. We recently built a telesitting application. We're in the process of building a sleep apnea application. And um, we believe that there's a world where you know all of your medical specialties can be delivered on a single device and a single software platform in one collaborative call. And we call that unified telemedicine. And that's our mission today. It's to humanize healthcare by delivering unified telemedicine to healthcare systems and patients across the country. There's really some There's fascinating, really fascinating stuff, stuff in what you just discussed. And um, embedding these services. One of the areas you touched on was this interpretive service. And I know coming out of the medical space, we had to, um, you know, obviously interpret for a lot of folks in the city of Washington. 
And part of that result uh, was we, we ended up working with interpreters that spoke 65 different primary languages. Um, yep. So that's in essence what you've created through a video platform? Correct. So we staff language centers across the United States. They're staffed with certified medical interpreters. They are the most highly trained interpreters um, you know, in the medical space in the United States today. And um, we currently have you know, north of 250 plus interpreters that number is growing rapidly, and we currently cover, you know, 60 plus languages in video, and then we have a broader audio network uh, throughout the United States. And that audio network adds an additional uh, number of interpreter and an additional number of languages. And so, um, all in all, we have 250 languages plus on the platform um, in Columbus, Ohio, where one of our main language centers is. There's over 126 languages spoken in that geography alone. Um, and so our goal is to always have an interpreter available at the point of care uh, in a really timely fashion so that, you know, doctors can properly diagnose patients and patients can be heard. That's fantastic. And when you talk about um, these interpreter services, so what happens is somebody maybe goes in to see a physician, they get a teleconsult? That's correct. And then they get the interpreter through that? Yeah, so you will, we have an um, iPad Pro platform that we've put into the field. Apple is a partner of ours. And um, we, you know, that can be rolled up to the bedside either on a cart or it can be put on a desktop, you know, on a stand on a, uh, next to the bed. And you could hit a button on the screen and within 30 seconds have your interpreter on that screen ready, willing, and able to translate and interpret. Yeah, our goal, you know, there's thousands of different medical specialties out there, and each one can have its own uh, telemedicine application. Um, so for us, what we've initially rolled out is obviously the video medical interpreting service. Um, we've also added uh, telestroke to that, so being able for a hospital who has a difficulty in filling neurology call panel and wants to become an accredited stroke center so that patients don't have to be transferred out to a higher level of care and they can remain in their community, uh, being able to bring in that stroke physician over telemedicine, we do that. Uh, we currently uh, perform telepsych as well. Um, we have a, a major partner um, who's one of the leading telepsych providers in the country, um, who's a user of our platform. Their name is Insight Telepsych. They are a leader in the space. Um, and we're currently partnered with them to provide telepsychiatry services on the platform. They currently do over 4,000 telepsych consults a month using our platform. Um, and then we've been working on a slew of different new applications um, in and around telesitting. So, you know, usually... The hospitals are really worried about patient falls out of beds and chairs um, because those are just major issues when it comes to liability risk and, and managing patient care. So we've developed a tool using artificial intelligence and cognitive computing that can recognize a patient's state in bed and um, you know notify the nurse's station if there's a patient that's at risk. And because what hospitals have been doing typically is putting real live people in to do the telesitting work, then um, you know this is one of the highest ROI use cases in telemedicine. We're working on a sleep apnea application right now. Uh, with a company called Sleep Coaches, and the goal there is to increase CPAP compliance and help ensure that people have a sleep number, if you will, to uh, to pull it from um, you know the the sleep number folks, um, but to give them an index of how well they're sleeping, and then to have the data from the CPAP automatically feed in so that we can make sure that you know people are getting their rest. And there's a slew of different other applications out there, whether it's virtual nursing telementoring, um, or any of the other specialties like orthopedics, 
um, that can really help drive um, a lot of you know different applications. And the great thing is our platform is fully private labeled, fully customizable, and you can, as a result of that, customize it to the use case and the strategy that you want to deploy it for. So do you have, so I guess you, you select which which specialties you would like to hook up to, and I guess you also allow people to then come on as that provider expertise on the other side of the system? Yeah, correct. So, you know, we one of the things we're building is a frictionless telehealth marketplace. And the idea is if we have a health system that's in need of a service, we can go to our other health system partners that have centers of excellence uh, within that given specialty and then partner them up. We, you know, our goal is to really break down silos between hospitals and health systems across the country to make sure that, you know, in a given geography, the, the physicians are there that are needed to service the patient base. Um, I'm a little bit of a disciple of Peter Diamandis, and one of the things that he used to say is, you know, the world doesn't have a food shortage problem. We have a food distribution problem. There's actually plenty of food on the planet to feed everyone. Well, you hear everyone talking about a physician shortage and a nursing shortage. Well, how do we transcend that shortage? We do it using telemedicine to get rid of the place space issues and bring doctors to the point of care where and when they're needed. Got it. And how do how do um, maybe just a little bit? I'm sure if you get into details, but how do you price for these services? So our pricing model is much more aligned than some of the other telemedicine companies who, in, who are in market. Um, if you take a look at some of these other businesses that are out there, they will price on a per member per month basis. So they will try and kind of share risk, if you will, on the platform. The problem is that engagement rates on those platforms remain very low, and those businesses make more money if, at the end of the day, nobody's using the platform. Right, because they're getting paid this per member per month regardless. So for us, what we try to do is really align interests. And we charge you know, a small scoping fee to cover the costs of any platform customization. Um, we charge a small support fee to cover the cost of just keeping the lights on. But we make our money as a business being aligned. And we make our money through making sure that people are engaging on the platform on a regular basis. So we get paid basically per minute the platform is being used on the e-visit model and then on the e-consult side of the business we get paid per number of doctors logged on to the platform at any given point in time so as opposed to having to license your whole medical staff you know if you it's like a cow's license for a server if you have five doctors logged on you pay for those you know five concurrent calls that are that are on the platform and so I, I assume that the specialists providing the consults on that side of it or doing the telepsychiatry service for the others have some way of Billing through and those kinds of things are they within? Yeah, they do. So, yeah, our goal isn't to step into the middle of the relationship between the provider and the patient, or the provider and the other provider who are using their services. Getting back to that, you also you touched on something. You know, you talked about the interpretive services, and you're one of the few yep. people I've seen put up on their their site that that we're, we're helping to reduce healthcare disparities and focusing on social determinants. You know, talk some more about that. I think that's just a unique way to look at your platform. Yeah, well, the world's becoming more diverse, not less. And that's especially true here in the melting pot of the United States. And so when we take a look at healthcare statistics, we need to be taking into account um, the fact that we're all immigrants to this country um, and that we all come from somewhere else. And one in five 
families speak a language primarily other than English in their home. So 20% of the market doesn't even consider English to be their primary language, and these people present to hospitals, and some hospitals have a higher concentration of these limited English proficient patients than others do. And so our goal is to ensure they receive the same standard of care as their English-speaking counterparts. Um, and we do that by bringing interpreters to the point of care. But when it comes to social determinants of health, if you think about, you know, the population that is, you know, uh, highest likelihood for diabetes, um, you know, highest likelihood you know, for a lot of these chronic conditions that are out there that people are trying to manage, it really tends to be these people who are a little bit more challenged with um, their English speaking skills and people who might not visit the American healthcare system on a regular basis because the very nature of their work and culture isn't to do so. Um, and so as a result, you end up with a lot more acute cases of these folks in hospitals driving costs higher. And so the more we can do to level the playing field for these you know, underserved patient populations, the better off the whole system will be. And so we take it as a very personal mission to make sure that, you know, one, doctors have the, the tools at their fingertips so that they can treat these patients, but two, that these patients are empowered to take control of their care, get educated about what they should be doing, and have that all be a piece of what we do as a business. Mm -hmm. So I know your product could be used on all sorts of you know, tablet, phone, I guess, computer. Is it strictly yep. like clinic or office based now, or you're seeing people take this out into any community locations or things like that where they really take it right to the individuals? Uh, well, yeah, you know, we're actually, it, it is, it's not so location specific that it's only in, um, you know, healthcare environments per se. Um, our interpreter base, 100% of what we do are healthcare related interpretations, but we see healthcare taking a broader role now in the workplace as an example. So we're working with some industry leading companies who use our platforms in their on-site clinics or in their HR department, um, you know, when people, you know, and, and, and they'll use the platform for those purposes. We see it in senior care clinics. We see it in urgent care centers. Um, we see it in skilled nursing facilities, nursing homes. Um, anywhere that there's a clinical venue, um, you know, we can see an application for the platform. Um, you know, an example of that is home health. Uh, we currently have home health companies traveling around with our uh, tablets and, um, you know, they, they go into someone's home, they know they don't speak English, uh, they can use the platform. They go into someone's home, they need to bring in a specific resource um, from a medical standpoint or speak to a clinical consultant back at the home office, they can do that over the platform. Um, those are the types of things that we can do. Um, the platform follows patients all the way from home to the hospital and back again. It's available on PC, iOS, or Android. You know, we as a company right now are literally doing 80,000 consults a month over this, you know, technology and, and, and over the platform that we built. I've said the word platform a lot during this radio interview. Um, but that's because that's what, it, that's what it is. There's multiple use cases for it. It's not a point solution. It's a platform. Um, and as a result, um, that's one of the ways that we really drive a significant amount of value is by putting as much functionality into it as we can to address as many use cases as we can. And where do you think you're taking the platform next? What areas are you looking at or exploring? 
Um, we're really excited about the applications for artificial intelligence and cognitive computing. Um, I think AI up to this date hasn't necessarily seen, you know, seen its promise or its promise hasn't been realized. Um, so we're starting to see a lot of big data applications, um, you know, uh, that we think are really exciting. One of those is language identification. Another one might be mining all of our call data so we can start discerning some population health information um, from these 80,000 calls that we're doing. Another one might be using <clears throat> the AI to actually train a machine learning tool because we have certified medical interpreters doing these interpretations and um, there are, you know, machine learning while it still might be five to ten years out from a language interpretation standpoint, there are applications there. Um, you know, we try and be as creative as we possibly can, but I'll tell you, you know, the most exciting use cases right now are the really basic ones. You know, how do we, um, you know, as an example, help hospitals fulfill their nursing requirements through bringing in a virtual nursing platform that allows them to, you know, um, supplement their current nursing team with some nurses who are in call centers to help support them, mentor those nurses, or handle some of the more menial tasks so that all of the nurses in the country who are on site can be performing at the top of their license. Um, there's a whole slew of different applications out there that are really, really exciting. And again, we're very, we're pretty stoked about this sleep apnea application because that is one of the number one comorbidities that every hospital across the country will see in their patients is that patients aren't sleeping well. And, you know, a lot of the time it's because they have some form of sleep apnea or, you know, some sort of uh, respiratory problem when it comes to sleeping. And so that's another big application. And so whether it's on the payer side doing population health stuff or on the hospital side doing e-consult, um, you know, there's a lot of new applications that are coming there that are very, very exciting to think about. That's, that's really neat. And getting back to a comment you made earlier, you talked about a virtual sitter and using, yep. I guess, some technology to be monitoring people in their beds or sitting. Can you delve yep. into that a little bit more? Yeah, so um, we have a technology partner um, in India who uh, is Tata, uh, the Tata um, team over there, and they were one of the first people to actually develop the, the software for the driverless car. And so in our partnership with them, we are exploring ways to use that technology. So the AI, the LIDAR, all those different types of things so that we can ascertain what's happening in the environment of a hospital room. So using it, uh, you know, using a facial sentiment analysis tool so that we can ascertain whether a patient's in pain or not. Right? Are they smiling? Are they grimacing? Are we hearing a certain amount of groaning, moaning, etc.? Um, being able to use that same AI tool to identify the patient's state. Are they at rest? Are they restless? In their restlessness, are they moving a foot outside of the bed? Are they moving an arm outside of the bed? Um, and you know, at what risk you know, profile? And can we flag that, call the nurse's station? and say, uh, you know, nurse A, want to let you know room 321 is at risk for, for a fall out of bed, please go see them. You know, that type of stuff is, um, you know, where we think the future of, of medicine is going. And let's be honest, the, the telemedicine room of the future, you know, there's a lot of talk about robots these days. Um, we're not as big on the robot kick because we think the room of the future is going to be a TV on a wall with a camera and it's, you know, yeah, it's going to be sensor-based, and, and, and it's going to be one of these things where, you know, you don't need really expensive equipment to do 90% of this stuff. 
and hospitals are spending a fair amount of money on very expensive equipment, but a lot of it's simply not necessary. And so we do as much as we can to use existing equipment or to drive low-cost platforms that we think are really effective and efficient that people already know how to use, where a ton of design thinking has gone into them, things like the iPad. So you've talked about using this kind of cool technology in the hospital, and obviously your relationship now is with clinicians and providers. You also talked about home health companies using some of your stuff. Are you looking to take some of that technology, say, into the home of the future and possibly link that up with an Alexa or Google and provide that for seniors? Ah, you know, Fred, it's it's uncanny. It's like you were in our office today. Um, we going. Uh, yeah, we... Um, you know, we think there's a lot of very cool applications that can be done on the home health side, and that's where our TV integration we think is really important because, you know, grandma really does I mean, She might not know how to use our iPad, even though our two-year-old knows how to use our iPad, but grandma still knows how to use that remote control on her TV. So we are very focused on how our platform can go into the home. And one of the biggest issues now that we're seeing in market is, this, you know, what's happening with net neutrality. Uh, we've actually structured some partnerships with some cellular companies to get priority to help address those types of needs. There's a lot of issues when you talk about doing in-home health care, uh, but we're trying to find ways to solve them. And, yeah, it's absolutely the next stage of our platform. We've integrated a remote patient monitoring toolkit with pulse oximeters, otoscopes, scales, stethoscopes, um, blood glucose monitors, all that will, you know, sync with a, an iPad via their Bluetooth and then upload that data to the cloud um, in a HIPAA-compliant fashion. And, you know, we think those things are the future, right? It's how you take something, you know, chronic or, you know, you can speed, you know, you can speed recovery by being able to monitor things that previously heretofore weren't able to be monitored in the home. And now you can have a something and you can, you can set a threshold for a given um, chronic condition. And if a patient crosses that threshold, they get a call from their physicians in an earlier intervention. And maybe by doing that, you avoid that hospital visit um, and you keep that patient healthier longer. Um, you know, those are the types of things that we get really excited about. Oh, that's uh, absolutely great. And so you mentioned something else. So you're, you said you're connected up to some of these technologies and monitoring devices, et cetera. So you're feeding that data through your system along with the video for the provider? Correct. Telemedicine, yeah, te yeah. yeah, telemedicine platforms in and of themselves, while one of the hardest things to do is scale video really reliably in a high-quality way, we've clearly proven our ability to do that. They really need to be in integrated clinical care platforms. So we've developed a workflow customization tool that allows any provider to customize the platform to suit their exact needs, their exact strategy. Um, and that includes all of these different facets, EMR integration, remote patient monitoring toolkits, um, you know, integrating, uh, you know, for stroke, you know, as an example, the NIH stroke scale. Um, we are actually working on a pilot down in the San Diego area with uh, a major provider there who wanted to put our iPads into ambulances so they could do early intervention for telestroke and lower door-to-needle times by an additional 11 to 13 minutes. And as time is brain, that's a really big deal in terms of helping save someone's life or make sure they don't have a deficit post-stroke. Um, so those, again, those are the types of things that we get really excited about. Fascinating. Yeah, the, that whole stroke uh, idea through the ambulance is really great. Uh, yeah. Stuff. So um, in, in terms of your system, is it cloud-based or people popping this on servers at their location, both? What are the options there? 
Yeah, right now we are, you know, we provide the hosting cloud. Um, we are looking at different strategies there. Um, you know, we, we've kind of seen, it's, it's really interesting, Fred, and I'd be curious to get your point of view on it, but we've seen everyone talking about cloud and wanting to move to the cloud, but then realizing that they had less control over the cloud and that the cloud was actually really expensive on a per unit economic basis. Um, and so as your company gets bigger, those cloud costs get bigger and bigger, and it makes more sense sometimes to bring your infrastructure in-house. So we are looking at a broad variety of different avenues there. Part of our platform, our asynchronous part of it, is in the cloud. We have a partnership with Box.com, um, and they and you know we store a lot of our you know asynchronous uh, type of you know documents, charts, et cetera, and stuff with them, and that's HIPAA compliant. Uh, but there's there's obviously a lot of opportunity there. But a lot of our video stack we host. Great. That's uh, thanks for that answer. And it is really interesting. You know, the whole we got to go cloud. We got to go cloud. Well, in some cases, yes, and in some cases, maybe. No, great to hear you're thinking that through. Um, just one final word. Can you talk a little bit about your customers real short? We don't have a lot of time left. Um, you mean in terms of who they are? Yeah, like um, who they are, what you're seeing in terms of the market there. Yeah, so we've got 750 plus hospitals who are on the network today. That number's growing at about 40 or 50 percent a year. Uh, just a few years ago, we were at 300 hospitals. Um, you know, they include a, a lot of different folks from the Cedar Sinai's of the world uh, to Children's Hospital of Orange County to NYU on the East Coast, and um, you know, it also includes small community hospitals as well. And what we're seeing is small community hospitals are in need of consuming a lot of these telemedicine centers of excellence that a lot of these major healthcare systems have built and we're seeing the evolution of what we call branded healthcare networks and those branded healthcare networks are how hospitals are going to extend their uh, presence outside the four walls of their bricks and mortar and that to us is the future of medicine well really great uh, talking with you and and what you're doing and how you look at this whole ecosystem and what you've built just fascinating to see how it's grown and i wish you continued success thanks so much for coming on the show this week Jamie. Really, really grateful for it, uh, Fred and Greg, and thank you guys so much. Really, really grateful. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I do want to thank our guest, Jamie Edwards, for his time and generous insights today. Do follow Jamie's work on the web at www.cloudbreakhealth.us and on Twitter by at Jamie Edwards, and that's E-Y Edwards, or Cloud Break Health at C-L-O-D-B-R-E-A-K-H-L-T-H. And finally, if your hospital health system, physician venture, or healthcare conference is in the market for social media support, including content development, curation, engagement, or amplification, ping me on Twitter via at the number 2HealthGuru, or email Greg with two Gs at healthinnovationmedia.com. Fred and I will be happy to lend our subject matter expertise to your efforts. And until we meet again on Pop Health Week, for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now and go Jags. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.